0: Welcome to episode two of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. I'm here with my co-host Lori, and we are going to give a brief overview of what borderline personality disorder or BPD, um, what it is, and kind of start to talk about what it looks like. All of the next um, episodes of the podcast are going to be really diving into the symptoms and how it can present um but before we do that we just feel like we need to give people kind of an overview because um i don't know lori what do you think i think that a lot of people have honestly really no idea what this disorder is and and um the way that it impacts people and it's so stigmatized that we often we people in the mental health field right we in quotations often talk about the disorder as like this awful, terrible thing, um, presenting in clients that are really difficult to work with. And you and I know that's not the case. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah. What is borderline personality disorder? Tell us. Yeah. So it's interesting
1: because for me, it looks so different than it does for other people. And I think that's why Sarah and I want to go through each of the individual diagnostic criteria for one episode at a time. So people can really kind of go to the ones that draw them in. Um, but just actually listing off the symptoms, um, some efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment, definitely a big one. I can tell you that from personal experience, um, a pattern of intense and unstable relationships with family, friend, or loved ones. And this often looks like going from you're the best person ever. And I love you to I hate you. And how dare you be in my life? And just bouncing between those two things. Um,
0: distorted, Sucks. that can we just say that that (laughs) sucks? Like feeling like someone is the greatest person in the entire world. And then instantly being like, I hate your guts. Um, please get away from me. And then when they do get away from you being like, wait, no, come back. Like that whole cycle is so confusing. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll
1: often see in books and when people are talking about borderline, kind of the tagline of, I hate you, please don't leave me. And I mean, I'm sure Sarah and I have said those exact words so many times. And it's, it's brutal. Um, It just in general, borderline often is looking like black and white thinking. So you, there's no gray. So you either love somebody or you hate somebody, or this is your most obsessible thing ever. Like I love cats and I hate everything other than cats, which is me, but (laughs) whatever it is, um, there's just a lot of black and white thinking. And that's something that, you really need to work on um, in therapy. And I think Sarah and I will probably talk about the skills that we use as well um, in future episodes. So definitely look forward to that. So a couple of other symptoms. So we've got a distorted and unstable self-image and sense of self. And this looks different for a lot of people. I also think that this is why there is quite a bit of comorbidity with eating disorders and borderline. Um, Impulsive and often dangerous behaviors. So Sarah and I talk about this far too often. Um, Not necessarily the dangerous behaviors. I don't necessarily like the wording of that, Um, but just impulsivity in general. So things like spending, um, unsafe sex, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Again, that's another eating disorder thing coming in there. And that happens a lot. And I think in a way, being impulsive is not always a bad thing, uh, but sometimes it can cause problems, which I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Um self-harming behavior, this is pretty classic kind of borderline behavior and a lot of people associate self-harm with borderline just 100% of the time. Um reoccurring thoughts, suicidal behaviors and threats, again that goes kind of in line with the self-harm, but when you're thinking black and white like we often do, you're if something goes wrong, sometimes that's all you can think about is like I just need to end this, there's no recovering from this because there is no middle ground. Um, chronic feelings of emptiness, this is an interesting one. Some people will call this dissociation. Some people won't. I don't know, Sarah, if you have any thoughts on that one specifically.
0: So I sometimes think about this as like going back and forth between a depressed state and a dissociative state, because Mm -hmm. I don't dissociate very often. Um, and I don't do it for very long periods of time, but I definitely do dissociate for like max, maybe five minutes. Um, and again, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen when I'm like very, 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 very stressed. And then, um, I'm kind of on the come down from a really significant moment of dysregulation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I f that looks like for me just feeling like I'm not in my body, like it's like an empty stare and I don't, I like, I can't, I don't receive any like external stimuli. Um, but, but I think personally, the chronic feeling of emptiness or hopelessness is more of a depressed state for me. Mm -hmm. Like that's something that I feel on a pretty regular basis. Whereas dissociating, I might have like twice a month.
1: Mm -hmm. That's a really good comparison between the two. Actually. I really like that. Um, It's interesting. This list that I'm looking at right now has a symptom that's not often on these lists. So I'm just going to add it because it's fascinating um difficulty trusting I used to work um, on a research study where we talked about borderline all the time and part of my job was to like assess people for the symptoms and that was never one of them so I don't know if that's a new symptom have you ever heard of that one being actually listed I don't think that's listed in the DSM-5 what site are you on uh mental health hold on <laughs> uh, okay. national, in- national institute of mental health oh yeah. So it's like, in theory, it should be legit, but.
0: Oh, absolutely. Hmm. I mean, do you have a hard time trusting people?
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, uh, (laughs) yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. (laughs) It's just interesting because I've never seen that listed. So anyway, I just
0: needed to say that. I mean, Um, let this be said that like, I've never just had a plan a in my life. Like I have a plan B, C, D and E. And I even sometimes start to think about if E goes wrong, what F would be. So uh, yeah, trusting people. I mean, it's difficult to imagine that people can create the amount of space that I need. Mm. You know what I mean? When you feel something, when you feel feelings on such a big scale, it's hard to imagine that people can honor that. And that's kind of where the trust issue comes in for me.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I think for me, it's more just anxiety in general. Like I think most people with anxiety are always planning six steps ahead and always aware of what's going to happen if something goes wrong. Um, so it's less about the emotions for me, but that's really interesting. Again, this, all of these symptoms can look completely different to everybody. And that's kind of the fascinating thing about it. Um, okay. So other than difficulty trusting, which is new to us, Not new to us as a concept, but new to us as a diagnostic criteria. Um, Inappropriate, intense anger or problems controlling anger. Oh, Um, girl. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I don't even have to ask her if she experiences this because I know that we both do. Um, Yeah, I think this is a huge one for me. And it was a really, really big one for me when I was younger and before I was diagnosed and soon after I was diagnosed, but before I was in therapy, Um, I, I have to say I've definitely gotten a lot better about this. Again, some people will say like inappropriate anger is something that I think people who don't experience intense emotions wrote that diagnostic criteria. Because if you really think about the fact that everything about borderline comes down to having intense emotions and more intense emotions than quote normal people. And if you're feeling anger on a 23 on a one to 10 scale, your anger may not be inappropriate. Right. That may be a completely appropriate reaction to what's going on. And it's just looking at it from that lens, as opposed to like, well, I just didn't say hi to you. And then you lashed out It's two different like views of that same situation.
0: I can't wait until we start talking about fact-checking. Yes. Cause for me, that's like the only way to try to cope with my anger. Um, it's funny. I, I, I think I remember feeling angry as a young person, but not the same way that you talk about experiencing anger. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, my anger was like 17 to like 25. Like those were like my really, really angry years. My like, you know, throw pizza boxes across the room years. Um, right. And so, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about our lives more in this podcast, but I'm currently on a solo road trip. I'm living in a car camper. And and so I'm not interacting with other people on a regular basis. And I haven't been angry. So like people who, most people who have borderline, they're not just angry to be angry. They're angry because they're not able to process interpersonally effectively. In my experience anyways, like if there's no people around me, I don't need to take Zoloft. <laughs> like <Right. laughs> I'm not throwing pizza boxes across the room. Yeah. Because I'm not dysregulated because it's a, it's like, it's a people thing for me. That's when I get really dysregulated.
1: I don't mm-hmm. know about,
0: I, I don't know about you, but yeah. 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 I think it
1: often is people related, but I also think for me, I hold a lot of self-shame about everything and I can't get it out of my head. And so I think even in your situation, like you've been on the road two weeks, I think I would still be reliving situations that I feel shame about and then getting dysregulated about that. Maybe not angry, but upset. Um, Okay. So that's kind of the overview of all the diagnostic criteria. And again, we're going to go through these in a lot more detail later because we have, I'm sure tons of experience personally with all of these. Um, but for me, at least what borderline really just comes down to is that issue with emotion regulation. And so I think it's important to look at all of these symptoms with that lens. And then also, I just wanted to talk a little bit about treatment, um, borderline personality disorder for a long time was considered untreatable. Um, I've read a lot of research studies that allude to the fact that it's untreatable and you're going to live with this forever and there's nothing you can do about it. I really hate that. And I think, it's bullshit. Quite frankly, um, personality disorders in general are kind of considered things that you live with for the rest of your life. And that's it. And I don't actually think that borderline should be a personality disorder, but we can do a whole name change episode later. Um, so dialectical behavior therapy is kind of the number one treatment for borderline and it's based on cognitive behavioral therapy, but with some mindfulness included. And for me, it was absolutely life-changing, the issue is that it's inaccessible for like most people. Um, I don't know about in the States, but in Canada, at least in BC, you'll either be on a wait list through your local health authority for a very long time. Maybe you'll get into a nonprofit or you're paying you know, tens of thousands of dollars, which is fine. I get it. People are going to pay for it so you can charge. But at the same time, it's really, really hard to access. And people often with this disorder aren't you know, in the position to drop $40,000 on treatment. That's just not a thing that people can do. So I know for me, and I think this is probably how Sarah found me on Instagram was I started doing little dialectical behavior therapy tools, little Instagram, uh, IGTV videos about once a day. And it was just skill of the day to try and show people that you can learn these skills without having to pay or wait on wait lists to go into therapy. So definitely check those out if you're interested. And it may be something that we talk about in future episodes as well. Definitely let us know if you're interested in that. It may even be a Patreon thing that we do um, where we talk about each, each skill that you can learn in therapy, but you, it is treatable and it's totally possible to live an awesome life with this disorder. So just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. And borderline, um, especially, most people tend to, I don't want to say like grow out of, but experience a reduced um, symptomatic presentation over time, even if they do or don't get treatment. Like um, for example, a lot of people in their um, late teens to like late twenties, those, those um, heavy developmental years might have high impulsivity, high suicidality, high self-harm, high, um, other risky behaviors or feelings. And those generally are reduced over time. The research shows, um, so I think that that is important to keep in mind, but yeah, I mean, a personality disorder, right. And it's a weird term and the, they're talking about reworking in the DSM six, how we classify personality disorders, Um, So it will be interesting in future years to kind of see how we're diagnosing and treating people. Um, But a personality disorder is literally just a uh, lifelong experience of stubborn personality Um, and stubborn being like in quotes, right? Like I'm a deep feeler. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be a deep feeler like that's where the stubbornness comes in. I'm not not going to fall in love in a weekend. I could fall in love in in 24 hours. That's just that's just I'm a deep feeler. That's where that stubborn like lifelong experience of personality comes in. Um but what I want people to know is that they don't need to be afraid of people who are deep feelers. They don't need to be afraid of um like, especially bisexual young women with borderline, like we're not these hellions that people like sometimes try to make us out to be in the media or in mental health, especially. And I'll never forget. I was in graduate school when I got diagnosed, I was 22 years old and I was learning how to counsel people. And I, I remember my professor saying that the least uh, likely group of people he would be to work with would be young bisexual women with borderline personality. And I was like, well, shit, that's me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've heard the same thing from professors too. Like, if you can pick a population to work with, don't pick people with borderline. And these it's are people terrible. that are teaching psychology in universities. It's awful. And of course, no wonder universities. We feel- yeah, no wonder we feel shame right? No wonder other people judge us. No wonder other people are fearful of us. If that's what the professionals, again, in quotations are telling us borderline looks like, then they need to meet somebody with borderline or chances are they already know somebody with borderline and that person should be encouraged to come forward. And I totally understand that it's really hard to do and not everybody's in the place where they can just come forward with this diagnosis. But we really, really, really hope that people that listen to this podcast realize that there's other people like you. We're cool. We have jobs. We're totally fine. Um, We just, yeah, like Sarah was saying, we're deep feelers. And I love the stubborn bit. If my dad ever listens to this podcast, he's going to be like, okay, well that's my fault. So (laughs) we're very similar in our stubbornness. Um, But yeah, it's just, I'm sure you already know somebody with borderline. I can guarantee you it's relatively common and we just need to encourage people to express their emotions in the ways that
0: they need to without judging them. hundred percent, my friend. We did it. We're doing this. I can't wait to see the way that this impacts people. And I feel like, you know, what you just said is that's exactly why, like, it wasn't okay for my 22 year old self to feel shame about being a student in a graduate degree learning how to counsel people and being told that I was uncounselable Mm -hmm. that wasn't okay and so that's what this podcast is about is we're gonna make we're gonna make it okay Mm -hmm. that's the plan
1: we're so excited honestly we've been talking about this for so long and we live in two different countries. The borders are closed. Like it's all of these things that could possibly go wrong. Now Sarah's living in a car. I'm doing my master's. Like we don't have time for any of this, but we're just so passionate about getting this word out that we just can't help it. So we're so excited.
0: So guys, thanks for listening to our rambles. We, <laughs> we are so happy to be here with you all. And uh, let's do this thing. Hi, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bold Beautiful Borderline podcast. Lori and I are so grateful that you're here with us on this journey. And we can't wait to dive into more topics in the future with you all about borderline and even have some more fun and exciting guests to join us on the podcast. If you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We would also love to see you interact with us on social media and on our Patreon page. The links to that are included in the show notes, so check us out there. We would be incredibly honored to get to know you all as you get to know us and our recovery stories. We love you, and we'll see you next time.